In this week's episode, I invite to the table one of my best friends in the whole world, professional coach, incredible human, generous spirit in so many ways, my dear friend Angie Cole. In this conversation, I wanted to share with you guys something I'm so proud of Angie for and humbly inspired by, which is Angie lived nomadically for a few years and in the process whittled the bulk of her life down into a carry-on size suitcase. And I'm so inspired by that that I wanted to I wanted to create a conversation with her around letting go and what's involved in shrinking your life to fit into a carry-on size suitcase. There's so much about letting go. There's so much about recovery. There's so much about self-trust. And I know you're going to love this conversation as much as I did. This one's from my Inspired to Life series this summer. Dig in, and I hope you enjoy it. Take a seat at the table next to me, Robin Ivey, and some of today's most meaningful thought leaders, mentors, and spiritual guides, and even some people like you and I, as we discuss their extraordinary lives and adventures in being human. Enjoy this week's episode. Today, my guest is one of my best friends, my favorite people on the planet, Miss Angie Cole. I'm gonna read her bio like everybody's. Angie Cole is a force of nature. This I can attest to. She's a masterful coach and mentor for responsible renegades and rebellious rule followers. Her clients and students would tell you she's one part genius, one part priestess, and 100% truth teller. Angie was a coach before it was the cool thing to sell online and was raised by mentors and elders who taught her to stay true to the craft. She's wandered her way through a thriving business owner, guided her own intuition and no one else's six-step plan. Her background includes contributions to an impressive list of innovative, sustainable projects across a variety of sectors, nonprofit, business, community organizations, etc. Her emerging body of work centers around reorienting our relationship to money, value, and worthiness. Angie is an expert at letting go and reemergence. She's reinvented herself over and over again and lived nomadically all over the world for the past few years and has recently chosen to hunker down in New Hampshire, awaiting the arrival of her brand new nephew. Welcome, Ange. Thanks for doing this with me. Thanks, Robin. Uh-huh. I'm so excited. Thanks. I'm really excited that you're here. I feel like um, of all of everybody, one of the things that I wanted to be able to share with people is you, because mm. I feel like what you bring to the table in my life is like the exact reason why I wanted to do this series. Like I want everyone who listens to this to be able to feel like they can pick up the phone and get the like, what do I do now, Angie Cole? Right? And I have that luxury, but I feel like I've, not every listener has that. And this is meant to be an opportunity for people to listen to real wisdom about what the heck mm. to do with what's happening and what now, you know, yeah. now what next? And yeah. I feel like you have such wisdom about that. Yeah, and I'm going to take notes and try not to have that uh, interrupt us, but that's how my brain thinks. Yeah, that's fine. Yes. That's fine. Yeah. So one of the first things I wanted to ask you about, one of the most impressive things about you to me, although there's many, but I think mm. for the listener, this is going to blow their mind, is that um, Angie got her entire life down into a travel size suitcase. 
let that let that land like her whole life in a travel carry-on size suitcase not like because she went away for a little bit and then was like coming back but like the whole thing in a travel size suitcase right and like for those of us who are like do a little spring cleaning gonna get a little stuff out of the house like no no like the whole life in a travel size suitcase so let's just start there because that is so much letting go has so much letting go and talk about that yeah it was a lot of letting go um well where to begin so why did you want to get your life into a a travel size suitcase I didn't know in the beginning that I did the that progression that ultimately kind of crescendoed in that was um it started with curiosity about what my life would feel like if I let go of the things that were in service to the past, some sort of identity I thought I wanted to hang on to, or that one day I would create, or or something in the future. And what would my life feel like if I let go of the bookends, which aren't real, that we can't actually exist in or do anything about, and really just began to curate my, my life, particularly my belongings. Because that was, <clears throat> excuse me, that was an easier place to start than relationships or other things that I was hanging on to. Um, what would it look like to curate my life so that the things I chose to keep around me were in service to my best life right now? Where they weren't baggage and they weren't future kind of possibilities and opportunities mm. and all of those things. And so that's where it began. It oh my God, that my- just really hit me, Angela. Like, wow, it's like really choosing just what I need right now. Right now. Mm. Just right now. Not a plan B. And let's be honest, I didn't have just have a plan B. I had a plan A through K. <laughs> I had... 20 different versions of myself living in my closet, the fat me, the skinny me, the cool me, the chill me, the fancy New York you. me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All the versions. And I, I just thought, well, what if I, what would it be like to open my closet and have every single thing mm-hmm. be a thing that I would be so delighted to put on my body that it would, there would be none of that deliberation. There would be none of that mm. shame standing there. There was just one freaking skirt. I will never forget this skirt because the skirt somehow symbolized, it was a target skirt. It wasn't even like, but it somehow symbolized this person that I wanted to be. Oh. As soon as I let that stuff go. I couldn't have understood the the impact of that. I couldn't have understood the energy that was locked up in that stuff. It was only by having that experience that I, and then that was it. I was hooked. Once I got that first little taste with my clothes and got to stand in front of a closet of only things that made me feel comfortable in my skin and not uncomfortable you know not like physically discomfort uncomfortable it then I wanted more so then the next big thing was I left my relationship and my house and all my things my 
couch, my hot tub, my like I left all the things, the big things, the small things. My partner and I had very different um, worldviews around stuff. She was very much a collector. She liked going to Goodwill as a hobby. That that's not me, but um, so that was one of the ways that I also liberated myself as I just realized I didn't really want that stuff. And I would much rather take what I wanted, go start on my own with nothing on my, nothing on my plate that I hadn't deliberately chosen again, not as a backup plan or a security blanket or whatever, but really just courageously choosing the things that um, support me right now. So that was the next step. And it just, it just kept going from there. So then I started traveling. Then, then I spent my first three months in Portugal with probably close to 150 pounds of luggage. Like, I don't really know how much it was, but they, you know, they've got that limit at the, at the airport where they weigh your luggage. My big suitcase was maxed out. My backpack was maxed out. And after like the third time of schlepping this human-sized suitcase (laughs) through the cobblestone streets of Portugal, I was like, that's it. This sucks. And I got to physically feel the consequence of all the contingency plans that I had in that suitcase. You were literally carrying around all the backup plans. I was literally carrying them around. Wow. And it sucked and I hated it and it was stealing my joy and it, and it was exhausting heavy. and, and literally heavy. Yeah. And it just was so like, it was just cumbersome here. I was like, just really trying, like cobblestones are not an easy thing to roll a suitcase on. No. It's terrible. It'll shake the teeth out of your head. Yeah. It's real bad. So they didn't do that when they put those in. <laughs> No, they didn't. So that, it just kept, I just kept leaning more into the edge of what else? What else am I holding on to? So it didn't like happen overnight because I think some people are like, oh, she went in her closet and she just took it out and then. No, no. And I'm so glad that it didn't Mm -hmm. because what I gained and what I learned from each layer of the shedding and the letting go was so important so that today as you said as I'm hunkering down and returning to a life of where a carry-on suitcase just isn't appropriate um I'm not in danger of kind of whiplashing into some of that old stuff because I just I've resolved the things that needed to be resolved so that I didn't need that anymore what do you think is underneath that for people with the letting go or what, what was underneath it for you as you were going through that? Like, I think so many, well, I know in the process of, um, you know, when I, when I chose to give up my studio and I had all the studio stuff in my house, right. It was the really, it was the first time that I was confronted with the stuff at that degree. And, and really there were like managing the stuff was a non-negotiable and it was really interesting for the questions that came up for me around, well, I wouldn't have thought that having to go through a pile of like the remains of my dream or my studio would have been like, okay, well, who am I now? Like, I have to decide like, 
who am I going to be? Cause am I going to be a person that's going to need chairs and like eight foot event tables for things? Like, am I that yeah. person? Am right. I a person? Like, am I going to need fancy shoes? Do I need high heels? Do I wear pencil skirts? Like where, like, right. Like <laughs> I wasn't expecting the letting go of my stuff to have so much of an impact on the, like, who am I actually, you know? Which is probably a big part of why people avoid it because it's, I I found the process to be far more confrontational to my psychological experience than anybody had ever really mentioned in my decluttering books Mm -hmm. to date. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is much more of a North American problem than we really understand. Mm -hmm. We are the birthplace and the flagship of capitalism and consumerism and that very system is based on our identity being created held shaped supported by the things we buy Mm. so that's not on accident that you had a psychological (laughs) emotional come apart at the thought of getting rid of your pencil skirts Mm. because which i never wear ever right. anywhere doesn't buy, matter buy pencil right. skirts right. yeah it doesn't matter right logic doesn't play into the equation so much turns out <laughs> if it did this wouldn't be a problem yeah um but the identity and the who we're supposed to be and who we should want to be and the gold standard of what is beauty or femininity or power or happiness even right we know how to stage happiness we know what it looks like but very little of that has to do with what it actually feels like right so that's I I just flipped that around right I began with well what actually does give me the feeling of happy and what would it be like to only have those things, to literally edit out anything that was even a maybe Mm -hmm. so that I don't have five travel mugs. I have this one that I love that makes me very happy. It's functional. It keeps things cold. I have your other one because it's, you left it here. So yeah, you have one and now I have one, (laughs) but Um, that was, that was three years ago. It was just, Oh, I don't even remember which one you mean, which is great. So what do I think is underneath it? It's different for different people. um, And there are some common themes, again, particularly with folks who are socialized in North America and maybe the UK, because they're kind of like our, they're our placenta. They're where we came from. And identity is certainly one of them. So upholding a certain identity that that you have decided or has been told to you is better Mm -hmm. than whichever one you think uh, you naturally occupy without that skirt. Um, a lot of scarcity, a lot of um, it's so funny we're having this conversation. I just had a little hoarders marathon yesterday where I was actually watching episodes of hoarders and I was like is this healthy but um 
children of the Great Depression. You know, mm-hmm. like there was some real ancestral stuff passed down to us mm-hmm. also from, you know, my dad. My dad's family um, ate dirt. They were so poor that eating rocks at a certain point was something they did to survive. Yeah. That's not that like that's not 20 generations in my mm-hmm. past. That's mm-hmm. my dad. Right. That's the guy who taught me about whether you keep stuff or not. Well, let me tell you, you keep it. Right. Period. You keep it if it's broken, you keep it if it's gross, you keep mm-hmm. it if it's and And so I remember this really particular moment of as I was excavating myself from my stuff and it was a big chapter of shedding. It was really the time where I was letting it all go to be in a suitcase. Was that the, that was down to travel. Yeah. So this was the moment where I was leaving Maine for the, you know, the last time, um, I was running the experiment. Can't what would it look like to really live in this European size carry-on, which is oh, yeah, smaller. smaller. Than They're the smaller. Amer- oh. They're much smaller. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> impressed. I'm, you know, I wouldn't have believed it for myself if I hadn't seen it, but it really happened. It really happened. And it was amazing. Yeah. And it was amazing. And it was the most incredible feeling of freedom and lightness and focus. Well, I remember you saying, you're like, if you can, if you can pack for a week, like if you got enough, if you could pack for a week, you got enough for two weeks. And if you got, if you've packed for a week, you're packed for a month because you're just going to wear the same thing for the next week and the next week. And I was like, Oh my God, why didn't I think of that? The ADD. Yeah. But that's a, yeah. uh, uh, And when you're really deliberate about what those things are, um, like my white linen uniform, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you don't need the variety. So much of, I think, what we keep around too when we live in one place and we have the luxury of space is mm. we keep around options, whether we choose them or not. Right. Because if everybody's honest with themselves, they're, way, they're wearing the same out, like That's right. week's worth of outfits anyway. But there's some comfort we have by having the options around us. It just mm. somehow feels... Yeah, better for all kinds of reasons. And, but when you're really deliberate about it, I didn't need all the options because I had all the options I wanted right there. Right. I could put on a warm layer if I needed it. I could put on a light layer. Like I just had the pieces that all worked together that all made me feel amazing. What did you have to endure though to get there? Right. Because it sounds like I feel like even the way we're talking about it, like it sounds like so easy. But having done, you know, a third of that and you having done like the 99 percent of that, like I guarantee I it was not like this. It's like we're sounding. We're like, ah, yeah, like that's uh, like, no, that picnic was not like a picnic. It was like we were not sitting there eating like bruschetta on the blanket. Like that was some. That was some drudgery and some cry storms and some shit storms and some shame spirals and some. Yeah. So I had to endure the feelings. I had to endure the feelings. And then be with the feelings, not make them bad, not make them a thing to be fixed or pushed away or remedied or numbed, but 
to be listened to. So I listened to the feelings and the story they wanted to tell me. Why am I? Talk about a moment. I had this moment. I was standing, it was one of my last uh, charity shop donation, whatever, thrift store donations. And they had this cute little like shed where you could put your things nicely so they would be all, you know, cared for and recirculated. And I'm standing there having a freaking like soul level existential crisis about giving this coat away. There's this coat. I have worn this coat maybe three times in my whole life. And I was standing there paralyzed and I was like, all right, well, what is this freak out about? Because it can't be the coat. So I, so I did a lot of talking myself through what's really going on here. You think it's about the coat, but it's probably not the coat. Cause if you needed to walk to the store right now and get another coat, you could get a coat. It's not even about the money. I think that was part of it is being afraid. You know, I think a lot of us are afraid we won't be able to replace it. There won't be enough. Um, and I realized that, yeah, that was it, that I somehow had this fear that, um, because of the size and shape of my body, like I'm really tall. And so finding things with sleeves that fit me, like I had all these stories about how hard it was for me to find things that I liked and how, if I let this one go, there wasn't going to be another one. And so I just really sat with the stories and talked to the stories and provided counter evidence to the stories um so what I had to endure is the feelings and a lot of my family stuff again I had this like really big moment as I was getting down to the travel suitcase where I realized that so much of my relationship to stuff had been in an effort to not be my dad just to not be my dad And this revelation I had was that was still not, my power still wasn't my own in that scenario. Mm -hmm. It was still against something. There was something I was trying not to be, but I wasn't really orienting my compass around what I wanted to be. Mm. What do I want my relationship to my stuff to be? How do I want to filter and sort and edit my surroundings? Yeah. Not from just like, don't be him. (laughs) But like actually moving towards something, what do I want instead of what don't I want? But I I recognized in that process, and now that's really held up as I watch my clients do different mm. degrees. I was gonna say, I feel like my God, I feel like take that sentiment and apply it to transition, letting go, forget it's like you can start with the stuff if that feels the easiest. You could start with your marriage, you could start with your relationship to food, you could start with your relationship to anything. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I I I appreciate I've learned in that moment to appreciate how one isn't better or worse. They're actually just different parts of the process. Mm-hmm. I needed to know I was safely not my dad before I could build my own concept mm-hmm. on top of it. So if you're listening to this and you think, oh, that's exactly what I'm doing, cool. You needed to do that first. Mm-hmm. Again, this is my this is my experience now um, echoed in lots of my client stories too. Is that's just the first layer of becoming and changing and transforming is is sometimes just knowing what you don't want 
And then, then from that, then you can begin to construct on top of that. But for me, I had to make sure I just wasn't in the hole. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I was going to ask you, that was going to be my next question is like, how do you feel like your own experience of letting go and the sticky places with that and the winds in that, you know, coaching people for as long as you have and, and the kinds of people and around the work you do, I feel like you have a really unique perspective of like, what, what gets, where do people get stuck? that they think they're the only one that gets stuck, right? Like, like letting go. Sorry, my thing just unplugged. Um, if, uh, there's certain universal things that are true for all of us, but because we don't, we don't live in a container where people share as openly about what's true mm. for them, we still have the experience that it's happening to just us. And part of like the, the service or the mission of this series is to help people hear where it's not just them. And not, it's not just them because they don't matter and they're not, they're nothing exceptional or nothing special, but kind of in that, like, hey, in the not being anything special about this, let us all learn together about this thing that affects all of us at some point in our life and understand the mechanisms of that so we can do something with it and like not let those things be the reason we don't put our work in the world or let go of our stuff or like keep the coat forever or, you know, or stay in the marriage or whatever it might be. Yeah. So many things. I mean, I have coached dozens of people, hundreds and hundreds of sessions. I just looked at um, some of my metrics the other day, and I've had something like 700 coaching sessions since, just since I started using this survey tool. Um, and in all of those, there have been maybe one or two times when it's truly been something I haven't heard before or a, a you know a slightly unique take so it's all it's almost all uh universal so, right, so share some of those what are the yeah. what are the what are the ones that you get all you know what are the ones that you see over and over I think one of the general like one of the general kind of overarching ones that touches lots of places is somehow this belief that it shouldn't be so hard. That what's unique about their experience that they think should be different is that they're having such a hard time that whatever they're attempting to do or thinking about doing is such a deep, agonizing, painful, scary struggle. And that somehow if they were just stronger or more enlightened or more capable that this would be easier well staples told us it was and we could just hit the easy button you know i mean yeah. so yeah so that's probably that's one of the things i probably repeat most often to myself mm. and to others is this isn't hard because you're doing it wrong this is hard because it's hard mm. this isn't scary because you're not brave enough or strong enough this is scary because this is scary. The work isn't to become unafraid. The work is to be in different relationship with your fear. Beautiful. I'm not unafraid. I just am now friendly with my fear. I know what it's there for. I know when it's a helpful fear and I know when it's a minimizing fear I know so I just mm. I understand it more mm. but it doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong and so that just shifting that belief alone mm. lets us 
focus on the real thing. Mm. But also ask that you be able to be with those feelings, mm-hmm. right? I mean, at the, at the starting gate, our, our willingness and our ability to be with our feelings starts there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no small thing either. No. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Well, especially in cultures where other people, you know, spend our lives having other people tell us what we feel. Or just yeah, what's okay to feel, what the good feelings are, what the bad feelings are. How much that's, of a feeling is allowed. That's an appropriate amount of fun, joy, grief. You've grieved enough. Get over yep. it. Move on. Yep. Dim it down. Yep. Lift it up. Yeah. Be fearless. You know, yeah. I think that's one of the most hurtful things that's come out of our modern kind of self-helpy world is mm. this idea that we're going to be fearless. I don't know. Maybe if you're a fearless. sociopath. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It'd be so much healthier to acknowledge like this is worth fear, but not worth getting stuck in it. Like it's worth acknowledging the fear as part of the thing. Kind of like we all acknowledge we have a front door to our house that we have to walk through before we get in the house. Why not acknowledge there's going to be fear like a front door. There's going to be moments where you're just going through that and it's part of the thing. And it's not an indicator of it being going wrong. It's just an indicator of how it is. Right, right. And what stage of the process you're in. Mm. Um, another big one is I get folks often who come to me saying that they want clarity. They're looking, I just need clarity. If I just was clear, then I could do the thing. But what I've really come to deeply understand is Often what we mean when we say we want clarity is that we want certainty. Oh, okay. I want someone to help me know for sure, 100%, guaranteed, that if I do this thing, this will be the outcome. Because mm. you can be real clear and totally uncertain. Yeah, I'm totally chicken shit. Yeah, or just like clear, but afraid of how it's going to, none of us. And again, if you're listening to this and you have found the magic crystal ball that gives you all the answers before you do the thing, hit me up because I would love some of that. That's not how it works. We step out onto the invisible bridge. And then the next step is revealed. And then the next step is revealed. And the next step is revealed. But there's a whole lot of folks sitting around thinking that if they could just get more clear, if they could just run through all the possible scenarios in their head and figure out the perfect plan, then, then I could take the step. And a lot of the work I do is helping folks just get comfortable and courageous and confident enough to just take the next step that Mm -hmm. is clear, Mm -hmm. the whole thing's not going to be clear. You're not going to know and be certain about how it's all going to go. And sitting around waiting for that to happen, not only is not going to get you in the end where you want to go, the only way to get where you want to go is to take the next step. That's it. Right. right. I think in like in this day and age where people are so multiplex, you know, like once when we were kids, it, it was a little bit different, but I think one of the benefits of people being able to embrace all these different parts of themselves and the ways they want to express themselves is like we do have a, a larger 
experience of our creativity and of like who we are as people in the world. And it feels like it, I, I hear my own clients often say like, yeah, but take the action on which thing, right? Like if I'm interested in this, like I'm, I'm thinking about leaving my marriage. I'm curious. I want to learn to play the cello. Like I'm, I want to start doing this brave thing by, you know, launching my program or creating my whatever. And then they're like, I don't know which thing, which, which take action on what, right? Yeah. Clarity about which thing. Right. And one of the amazing things, <clears throat> and again, being back in North America for the first time in a long time, I'm really appreciating this is blessing and a curse. We have so many options. We have options on options mm -hmm. on options on options on options on options. And in some ways, that's great. I love that I have found this delicious oat milk cold brew. It makes me very happy. I have 9,000 options for a cold brew coffee. That's great. And it's paralyzing mm -hmm. because then the stakes feel higher for making a choice. Mm -hmm. the, the stakes, when you can do anything, be anything, reinvent yourself, start all over, start your right. online business, yeah. doing anything that's an overwhelming amount of option. And that's where beginning to calibrate and hone your internal compass mm -hmm. for what is particularly yours, singularly yours. That's my only oat milk. I don't need 12. I have one and it satisfies every need. So beginning to hone your internal compass so that 99.9% .9 of the options aren't even on the table for you mm. really makes that whole thing um, much easier, much more simple and straightforward. And, and again, that's not and an important, easy thing. Well, and important that, that it's all being directed from the inside out instead of the that's outside exactly, in, yeah. because I think that that's the paradigm shift that I think um, is most impactful for listeners. Yes. It's like, listen, we live in a culture that likes to tell us what we like and what we think and what we should have and how much and to what degree and do it like this and do it like that. And it, it's a journey to listen to your own inner truth again, especially yes. now with like, I don't know, just all of the messages everywhere and the bombardment of things, listening to that quiet voice is perhaps um, requires the most intentionality of anything at this point. Absolutely. But, but to do it is, is so critical because without it, then you don't have, you don't have um, a grounding rod to say like, well, why wouldn't I do that thing that they tell me, right? Like the, it's, yep. it's so much harder to avoid getting caught up in what the outside is dictating, right? It's like so much harder to um, maintain that internal constitution if you haven't done the work first of really be, taking the time to be with the feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we are vacating our bodies because we can't be with ourselves, Right. Yeah. When we hit the eject button on our ability to sit with ourselves and be with ourselves, we don't, we don't, we're actually like hijacking our opportunity to really be in ourselves and listen to what we need and what's right for us relative to all of the other options. Like it's great there's 8,000 kinds of ways to get an ice cream cone flavored now at the Eskimo King, but all of those options are so overwhelming and like. For me to discern what's right for me, 
I got to be able to feel and know and listen and yeah. understand what my own mechanisms for knowing what's right for me are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that takes, it takes practice. It takes practicing with the little things. It is, it's a calibration of an instrument, mm-hmm. um, which means it takes, it takes experiencing contrast. It takes um, getting it right and getting it wrong. It, you know, picking this, the snow cone flavor that, or ice cream flavor that you is really satisfying, picking the one that you don't really care for. That kind of hotter, colder mm. is what allows us to sustainably and um, gently recalibrate that instrument from external to internal. It's like the her- biggest, no, go ahead. No, you go. The biggest part of that is um, reconnecting to or connecting to for the first time self-trust mm-hmm. because that requires me to take a stand to say, I'm going to trust me over what previously I thought I wanted based on some external uh, framework, mm-hmm. I'm going to pick me over that. And that for all kinds of reasons is difficult. If you've experienced any sort of trauma, if you occupy any sort of marginalized identity, mm-hmm. um, if you are not essentially a butchy straight white man you have very clearly been told that you need, it would really be better if you trusted someone else's idea of what the right kind of person is. Mm. And then try to be that. Try to have straight blonde hair. Try to have small hips and big lips and like whatever. There are just all these external things that if you don't fit that, the Mm. very clear message is don't trust you. Don't trust you, honey. Trust us. Trust this bigger thing. We know what gonna... you should be wearing. We know yeah. what you should what you should smell like. We know how you should look in those clothes. Yeah. We know what you should think. We know what you should think about this idea mm-hmm. or these yeah. people or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it is complex in that it's all woven together in um systems of power and oppression it's woven into culture it's woven into capitalism I mean it's not just a simple thing of like oh trust yourself because the pathway to trusting yourself is also different based on what identities you occupy and what stories you've been taught about why you shouldn't trust yourself Mm. you know does it drive you as crazy as it drives me for like on all the socials with all the fluff of personal development of like five quick steps to let go of your fear, three quick ways to boost your feeling like as if, because I just think sometimes I, I listen, I think perhaps you haven't done the work because having gone through different letting go processes, although not to the degree of the, the suitcase, but my own version of that, it's like, there's no part of that that is like, the three quicks to getting over your dead friend. Like, no, All nobody's done. ever going to say, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, this no. is not humanity. Like, that is not, that is not how this, that is not how life is. Three quick ways to. Yeah. And it's dangerous because then again, we set up this 
right? Like it makes me think, well, should I be able to do it in three quick steps? Like what's, what's wrong, wrong with, with me you? that I, how come I couldn't like put my dream back together in three quick steps? How come not over my breakup in three quick steps? How come not, how come I'm not, how come I didn't lose 30 pounds in three quick steps or one quick week or one green drink later, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yep. It reinforces that idea that if it's hard for you, there's something wrong with you. It's not normal that it's hard because look, this person did it in three quick steps. Right. And it just, it, it further erodes that internal compass of knowing what it is going to take for you. This freaking pandemic. I mean, everybody is navigating this in their own way based on a lot of those things I just talked about based on um, just where you happen to be when it all went down. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And, and so reemerging from that is also individual. I, because I've done so much of this work and I, I know what happens now when I don't trust myself, uh-huh. universe makes yeah. it real clear when I've gotten off track. She smacks me back in now. She's like, we, there's no fucking around. We ain't got time for you to figure out anymore. So um, I, I know now to trust that instinct. So in this whole thing, I just went down to like hibernation mode. Like keep, keep the core systems alive mm-hmm. and everything else mm-hmm. is completely negotiable. Right. And I know in the deepest sense of my cells that that is the wisdom that I needed to do this for me. Mm-hmm. Everything else in my like identity and ego was freaking out. You can't do that. Your business is going to fail. Everybody, you have to show up and lead right now. You have to do this. You have... Nope. I got quiet. I got pulled in. I, I just really closed all those things off because that's what I needed. But if I hadn't been in a place where I've cultivated that deep trust, Mm. it probably wouldn't have gone that way. Mm. Well, there's different reasons for retreat, right? And, Mm -hmm. and right. I mean, sometimes that's avoidance. Sometimes that's fear. Sometimes it's shutting down like so many different things. And sometimes it's real body wisdom. Sometimes it's really like, recognizing when intentional retreat for restoration is necessary versus retreating out of can't be with this, can't feel this, can't own this, can't look at this. Right. Yep. Yep. And I only know that today because I have thoroughly experimented with all those other kinds. (laughs) So I know what escaping retreat looks like. I know what self-harming retreat looks like. I know what playing small retreat looks like. I know what all those look like because on this journey, one of the most important things I've done is let it all be included. Mm -hmm. All of it, the ugly stuff, the yucky stuff, the scary stuff, the hard stuff, the pretty stuff, the ecstatic stuff, the, all the stuff. Um, That's for sure. Another thing I see that folks have in common is we, we decide that one part is better than the other part. Yeah. It's just really come to have a deep reverence for the shitty part, the dying part, Mm. the decomposing part, the part where it's all falling apart Mm. is one of the most important parts. 
because it's the only way we get to the new emergence. And well, otherwise, sucks. otherwise, you're schlepping around the human size suitcase on the cobblestones of life for your whole life. And frankly, I mean, I think that's what so many of us do, right? Whether it's because we think we need to carry it to remind ourselves not to do it again, whether we carry it because we think we need to remind ourselves uh, that we can, whether we carry it in case we need it for some identity that we think we might, like I have um, camping gear in my basement. This has been like the, my, my own version has been camping gear lately. Because my my youngest is headed off to Colorado for school, right? And so we're in camp. Like, why that's conjured this? I don't know why him going to Colorado for college has kicked up this like emergent need for camping equipment. Like, I I don't. Anyway, so our whole family's been in like, well, he's going to need camping equipment. We're like, does he? Why? Like, and also, can he get that in Colorado? Like, I think they have that there. But it made me start to think about like, well, why? I have all this really old camping equipment in my basement. And I haven't been camping in, I don't know, like a really long time. I actually enjoy camping for whatever reason I have not been camping. And I sat there and I was like, this is the rub. This is the rub because I have the stuff. I don't really want to camp with that stuff. I, I haven't really felt like the impetus to go buy new stuff because I'm not quite sure I'm camping much because clearly I haven't. So do okay. I want, am I still someone who camps, right? Do I, right? And right. all of the things that come up have been like, yeah, that's why we're not dealing with the camping gear. Cause it's like, that's too many, there's too many parts of it. It's like, well, do I still want to be somebody who camps? Am I going to camp? And then it can be like, who do I have to camp with? Oh my God, I don't have people. Well, I don't have people to camp with. Well, well how come I haven't made friends that like to do the things I do? Well, maybe I don't like to do it. I mean, it's just an amazing, it is really an amazing popcorn opportunity of like, choose your own adventure down. It's like, we're just talking about whether or not we need a tent or not a tent or keep the thing right. or like, right. Get rid of the t- yeah right that's amazing such an opportunity yeah and we think I certainly did you know for so long I thought well it's not hurting anybody if I just keep that stuff like it's in the basement right it's fine yeah I'll just not decide right it matters if anything I learned is that it matters more than anyone could have explained to me the Say energetic why. shift, just the energetic shift, the release mm-hmm. of all of that turmoil that you just articulated. Yeah. Gone. Or I just, have- I mean, really just the, the um, what do they call it? Like the cognitive load of like standing there and being like, how many hundreds of times am I going to ask myself about the camping gear in the five years I've lived in this house? Like, should I keep that? Should I not? Like, if you add that right. up and those were dimes or hundred dollar right. bills, like, really? And I, I somehow had this idea that if I wasn't consciously thinking about it, like I didn't every day go to my closet and go through all the stories of, oh, I could be that person or I used sure. to be that person. Yeah, I wasn't consciously doing that. But what I didn't appreciate until those were gone, those ghosts of Christmas mm-hmm. past and Christmas future, once that was gone then I could really appreciate the impact it was having that I wasn't conscious of. Mm, Right. It's like when you move out of a neighborhood where there was like a lot of like a train or there was construction or something. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize how loud, like I didn't realize the background noise was impacting my sanity the way it was. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a leap of faith there. And that's why I 
don't mind talking about this and telling the story over and over again because I I don't know what I would have done differently if I had heard someone say it matters more than you think. Just trust me. It matters. Right, right. It matters more than you think. Right. Until you're on the other side of that, it doesn't seem like you'd know why. Right. It doesn't seem like it would make that much of a difference, but gigantic. Massive. Life changing. Absolutely life changing. And it feels really important to say in this whole conversation about stuff is that there's a whole lot of privilege involved with also just being somebody that gets to make decisions about old camping gear or new camping gear. That's, like, that's a pretty... Right. Yep. That's a pretty high level uh, problem to solve. But what I really believe, what I know is that if, if we are addressing those bigger questions in the position of privilege that we occupy as Mm -hmm. white women, blonde white women, Mm -hmm. um, the ripples are there because I see other people differently. I interact with people differently. I make fewer assumptions. I like my lens is different Mm -hmm. for having done that work. So that's not the end of the work, Mm -hmm. but it is an important part because unless you are tending to your own biases, your own programming, your own, because we didn't, we like to think that we made all this up and that it's all our responsibility and that it's all ours to fix. This is not the case. We've all inherited a lot of this mm-hmm. in the matrix. We, we did not make the matrix. Right. We were born into the matrix. Right. Now it is still up to us, especially as the, you know, the benefiters of the matrix. It is up to us to question it and dismantle it, but we didn't make it. And there's a lot of forgiveness in that too. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. And when you think about the past, like, I don't know, was it 15 months, 18 months, three years, the timing of all of this has really done a number on my, I have so much more faith in Einstein time now than I did before. Like when you think about the people who are at home and they're they're sitting in their stuff, but they're sitting in their stuff, right? And they're like, I think that for me, it's sort of like two camps of reemergence. It's sort of like the people who, uh, and, and I say that because of the two versions of myself that I've encountered mm-hmm. in, in my own transitions and emer- emergence. It's like the times where I like feel really clear and on like, I'm excited about the next thing. I have a vision for it, but I'm like stuck in my, I'm stuck in my own stuff to get into like really make that happen. Right. And I can get stuck in the how or the what, then there are other times where I'm really, I don't know what I'm wanting and I'm not, I'm not driven in a particular direction. And, and it feels a lot like floundering in those moments. And it feels a lot like, I don't know. And then I, and then I see people who are in the other, the place I am often other times where I'm like, no, I'm doing this thing. I'm not sure how yet. And I'm confronted with my stuff, but I'm doing this thing. What do you say to people who are in either of those situations right now? Well, I am in those situations right now. So I mean, who is, who is not in that who right is not? now, I guess. Yeah. People are, whether they are consciously connected to it or not. 
I mean, the word that is ruling my life has for a long time, but definitely is right now is grace. Just being really gracious with myself. The idea that we somehow should know how to do this or that I should somehow be able to apply past lessons that I've learned about emerging from difficult things is only kind of sort of a little bit applicable here. We have never done this before, ever, any of us. And I see folks underestimate all the time, myself included, what a big deal that is. What mm. what a big deal this is. Mm. And so just taking all of that graciousness and patience and compassion I have for myself to a level 10 whenever mm. possible. So for me, that looks like following that impulse when I do have it mm -hmm. and not expecting it to stick around. It might be here for 10 minutes and then gone. Cool. I'm going to let that be a win. I'm going to feel great about that. Um, just, just Monday, I had this idea that I was going to like have this super productive day and do all these things. It was rainy and gross and awful. And my energy was tanked. And so I didn't. So I watched quarters and, and did I feel great about that? Was I excited? Was that me like living my best life? Nope. But the amount giving myself shit and shame and, mm harm over that so not worth it not mm. going to change anything and in fact it's going to make tomorrow harder yeah the second arrow has been a really interesting theme like it's been it's been cool in I think you're probably I don't I don't know how many people I've interviewed so far but in getting the opportunity to interview so many different people it's so cool what themes keep coming up you know I'm like yeah. well, I keep talking about that maybe I'm bringing this to every conversation but uh but that that's been a real big part of it is like part of the personal work is being, and, and part, and I'll say, this has been the, I think this, this part was actually the part that I struggled with the longest in my own yeah. personal development is I really shot myself that second arrow every time really. And like, and also felt like, felt like I was doing myself a service by shooting yes. myself like that. Let yes. me be quite, but it was not that I yes. just noticed I was doing it, but I was like, good for you, sister, for shooting yourself for that one, because that was a shitty thing you did, or that was a dumb thing you did, or that was a stupid way to do that. Or like you failed at that. So see, like my, my, that, yeah. that, that survivor in me likes to have, she has a lot of opinions when I do things that way, you know, like with yeah. a, where it feels like failure or whatever. And it's been, it, it's been really beautiful having come to that own revelation of my own in the past pandemic time. Like, you know what, that second arrow, that's the kicker right there. Like with that, if I can, if I can really make peace with that piece, then peace, all caps is so much more available to me because without like when that second arrow is still there. And if you don't know what I mean by that, it's that like, you know, you can have a moment where you make a choice and something doesn't go the way you wanted it to. It didn't work out the way you thought, but then in the response to that, you can either shame yourself and shit on yourself and blame yourself and be mad at yourself and treat yourself with the same criticism that people in your life have, right. Probably even more than people in your life have, but you can choose to shoot yourself for it, or you can choose to find compassion for yourself. And, and that is something I really didn't have. Cause I felt like growing up as an ADD kid being too much and having all this stuff, I always felt like 
like pushing against this norm of like, if I just get it the way I see other people doing it. And there's mm. a lot of shame in that. There's a lot of like not getting to that point in, in that mm. way. And it, yeah, I don't know. Letting go of that's been huge, like legitimately life-changing. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the secret is I'm way more productive without mm. it. Mm-hmm. Right. Ultimately. So again, first arrow was Monday. I didn't do anything. I watched hoarders and like until the sun went down, <laughs> that's the first arrow that sucks bad enough. That's already sad enough. Like I didn't <laughs> feel great about it. So, but today I can just be with, Oh man, this just kind of sucks, but this is just how today is. Mm-hmm. So was I more productive on that day? No. I could have second arrowed, I could have bullied myself into doing something that day, mm-hmm. but then the accumulation of those over time right. tanks my productivity because it tanks my sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. And why would I show up to do something amazing if I feel like I'm a lazy piece of shit? I won't. I don't. So the more, that's really what I excavated myself from over all these years is the belief and all the evidence I thought I had that I was a lazy piece of shit. Well, without that, guess what? Mm. I do more stuff. Well, and and if you hadn't, then on Tuesday, you spent most of Tuesday treating yourself like shit for the lazy piece of shit you were Monday. Now you've lost Monday and Tuesday, Mm. right? Mm. And you've spent two days feeling lousy. Like, when I started to really realize like, these are the moments of my life though, like the moments make my life. And at the end yes. of that Tuesday, if I spent the whole day Tuesday being mad at myself about Monday, I just forfeited my entire day to this one particular voice in me that isn't mm-hmm. doing me and me or the world any fate. Like it's not contributing no. to anything valuable. No. But I I don't want to miss the really important thing you said before, too, which was for a long time, I really believed that I would certainly die a horrible death if I let go of the second arrow. Oh, yeah. I was pretty sure it was the only thing keeping me alive or. uh, Or at least try like in a house. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. That I would surely just like die in a puddle of my own filth if I didn't do that mean thing to myself. So it was Mm. terrifying. I I remember exactly when this started happening. I started considering the notion that I might let go of that mean bully second arrow. Mm. It was absolutely terrifying because I was, I had no other plan for how to keep myself accountable or motivated. That was it. That was the only thing that was keeping me from not eating myself to death or drinking myself to death or smoking myself to death or late Netflixing myself to death. So all of those lead to death. Um, If I stop doing that mean thing, you should, you lazy piece of shit. Why can't you? Without that, I had no, I thought I would have no rudder and that I would just be completely lost. You'd be jello on the floor, getting nothing done. What yeah, will keep so, me, what will keep me in line? What will keep me in check? What will keep me knowing what I'm doing? What will keep me moving forward? What, right? Mm-hmm. I know I have um, my coaching practice is, it's an, it, yeah, it's something everybody faces in some particular version, right? Mm-hmm. 
for yeah. one person, it's it's the motivate. They're like, no, I I need that so that because it it keeps me going. It reminds me that like, and I'm like, no, it doesn't. You think it does, but that's what it tells you it does. But that is not what it does. It just keeps you right. feeling like shit about right. yourself. That is right. not the thing that's motivating you. And if your motivation is coming out of shame and out of this inner critic, that's not real motivation. In the right. Same way. Right. It's not sustainable. So it's it's switching the fuel tank. So I took the switched over to the fuel tank of um, joy and fulfillment and excitement and passion and doing things in my life that feel good to me. Mm-hmm. Fuck everything else. And that really took a, it was a lot of little and big leaps of faith to do that. But I also was very clear that I was doing it not just for myself, but as a demonstration. Cause now mm-hmm. I can stand behind that hundred percent. I know exactly how it happened. I know exactly how it works because I, my scientist brain studied that process while I was doing it. It works. It's possible. There is another fuel tank that's way more efficient and it's self-sustaining and replenishing of itself. It's like the, the biofuel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah. And the little bits of that, that I got occasionally from the mean shamey thing are nothing compared to what I have now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, Jim Mayer, who's the basis for Jimmy Buffett, was one of the interviews I've done. And he was talking about how Jimmy Buffett did a tour that he called, uh, he entitled the tour, I don't know. He was like, what are a renegade rebellious act to of permission even to really to share with this public? Like, look, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know anything, but I'm Jimmy Buffett and I'm showing up. And if you're showing up, then we're going to do this thing together. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much value in that really, like really getting to that place of I'm willing to stand in what I don't know in front of other people with the true faith that my not knowing is not a sense of incompetence or, uh, or an inadequacy, but rather true living and true permission and, and an act of rebellious self-trust to say, I don't know yet, yeah. but I'm willing to stand in myself and in my life and in my experience and in my feelings and in my discomfort and in my own truth. I'd rather wait for my own truth to reveal itself than, than attach myself to your truth so I can feel better in the moment that I have one, you know? Yes. I also want to say, mm. I've encountered this a few times over the last several years of traveling and being in a suitcase and all those things. Never is my message that everyone needs to get rid of all their shit and go live in a suitcase. That's not, that's not the pinnacle. That's not the goal. That's not the gold standard. That was just my version of curating my life Mm. that was my version of sculpting um I don't remember where where I read this many many years ago but this idea that what a sculptor actually does is just remove the parts of the stone that aren't a part of their final vision and so that's been the process of sculpting my life so that my life is the expression of 
who I am in that moment, mm. who I who I want to be. And so your your version doesn't have to look like a suitcase if that's not what you're about. But don't let it be all or nothing that, well, if I don't want to be in a suitcase, then I don't have to deal with the camping equipment. Right. Right. It's really all about your version. Yeah. It's about expansion, really. You know, like I feel like like to take everything, to take the stuff down to as little amount of stuff. It's like really to be able to see it as clearly as possible and then expand upon it based on what you really are wanting more of in your life. It's not really about having nothing or having as few things as possible, although that's great if that is your goal. But it seems like it's so much more about living with what's aligned with who you are and what you want and making those choices about the relationships you have and the people and just everything based on our own uh based on our, our own integrity and our own truth. Yeah. Yeah. And your own, your own desire. Mm-hmm. We're so disconnected from our desire, which is a thing we could also talk about for five more hours, but All right. I just, I want to make sure that's clear because that there's a lot of Instagram in the world trying to tell us that there's, again, there's one way to be a minimalist or there's one way to declutter it is that just happened to be my process for connecting to what do I really want what really matters to me and the courage to not settle for anything more or less Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and is there anything else that you feel like you want to offer to people from from being behind the curtain you know I think it's such a sacred role to be behind the curtain with people of their uh in their vulnerability and in the yeah you know and just in their sharing of what's really happening for them you know like I always think I got my I feel like my clients are such brave people because such a beautiful thing to have a willingness to sit with somebody else and say I don't know what to do with this you know yeah I don't yeah. know about all that's here. Um, and I just think about all the people at home listening, wondering, okay, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. <clears throat> that, that it's all connected. So it doesn't actually matter where you start. Just start. It doesn't matter where you begin. It's all connected. And so if you start tugging on this thread, it, the same principle will apply to the filtering and discernment in the rest of your life. Mine started with my closet, just cause, just cause a lot of my issues are wrapped up in my body and how I clothe my body and all that. So I just knew it was going to be a place where I could start. It felt small. So it doesn't matter where you start, just start. Well, some people where they have to start is obvious because they just lost their job or they just lost right? Like you're moving or you have to get out of your home or like whatever, whatever transition you're in, your starting place is probably more obvious, you know, probably. And just start where it's easy. Don't be afraid to start where it's easy. That's Mm -hmm. fine. It's plenty. It's important that you start in a place that feels accessible to you and just know that it will ripple. The, the echo will happen. Um, because once you learn, how to do it in one place and you you build your steadiness and your steadfastness in one part of your life 
then being able to do that with your mom or with your boss or with your whoever is just going to be the next natural thing that happens. What do you say to the people though, Andrew, who are feeling like, um, you know, that, that intersection of being and doing, they're like, I want to have faith. I want to just relax and like trust the process and do that. But don't I still love it? Like I also, don't I still need to get stuff done? Don't I still also have to set my goals and make the plan? Maybe, maybe. I mean, or how do you manage that intersection, you know, of like where our culture is like, you know, where to push yourself, where, where are you, where could you be pushing to move forward versus right. Versus just, cause I think, especially as women, I feel like as women, there's this, there's a conversation of like, am I, am I asking enough of myself? Am I pushing myself enough versus am I allowing myself enough rest? Because I think we live in this, like, are you giving yourself enough self-care versus mm-hmm. are you, are you being productive or are you moving the needle in your life? Are you doing the work of becoming? And all of that feels really slightly contradictory depending on. Yeah. They're not separate. Right. The the being and the doing are never separate. The integration of what I'm doing and how I'm being is the magic. I might get the dishes done, but what I'm, how I am being while I do the dishes really matters. I can be completely abusive to myself as I'm doing the dishes. I could be completely checked out and disconnected and not present in my life doing the dishes or doing the dishes could be a meditative act or doing the dishes could be benign or you could hire somebody to do I'm just going to say, or you could hire it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the being is what creates the context for the doing. The doing isn't as important. And so do I push or do I rest? Well, you know, who decides and what feels good and the, the, the pushing or the doing isn't separate from the resting. My rest supports my doing and my doing allows my resting and they're, they're just not separate. I find for me that that goes back to the intentionality, like the clearer I am about what it is I'm wanting for myself, the easier it is to discern between the doing and the being, because what I'm doing is, is that much clearer. And then the way I want to feel while I'm doing that just makes sense. Like I want to do things that I want to do and I want to feel great while I do them. You know, I want, I want the, I want both. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, under normal circumstances, I have gotten really good at letting my inspiration fuel my doing and letting my um, passion and my desire and my excitement fuel my doing. But who has that in this? Maybe some. Uh, nobody. I got it. So my expectation for what that looks like is just way, way, way different. And all I can say right now is that I'm just being with my frustration, fear, dissatisfaction around the idea that I should be doing more, that all right, it's time, you've grieved long enough, like you can go to a restaurant now, so it's time to stop feeling sad and overwhelmed and discouraged Mm -hmm. and lazy and demotivated. It'll be time when it's time. Right. And so really just checking that story of, well, I should be really? Should you? Mm-hmm. Do you want to? Do you... And it's not even want to, it's what do I have access to right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think what's challenging is like, I do think in like the self-development space, 
space, even in the coaching space, right? And all of that, whatever. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, feel your feelings, but get over your shit quickly. So you you know, like manage your shit and, and get back in the game. And that whole, that, right. Like that whole idea of, um, of like, feel your feelings, but don't indulge in them. Like, don't let them be the thing you indulge in so long that then you don't get back to the thing. And I think it's such a mind fuck for everybody sometimes to like, which thing to listen to of like, should I be more getting the more done being the more, you know, like I spent a lot of time with my clients kind of unpacking that, like. So I, a question I use a lot in situations like that to try to understand what is driving the, the bus is who benefits, who benefits if I push myself to do more right now when I don't feel like that's the right thing for me. It's such a great well, question. you know, the societal norm of upholding what capitalism looks like, they benefit. I don't benefit. It's not going to be. So if the question is who benefits if I, um, if I find 10 minutes of amped up motivation to send this email because it's going to help me keep my health insurance. Right. <laughs> who benefits? I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. If the answer is me and that I can find a place to benefit, that helps me then rally what I need in that moment to do the thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if there's actually not a benefit to me and that's not my choice and it's just upholding some other idea. And a benefit to you just so that's clear too. It's like a benefit you could be like going to help your sister with a thing because the baby's coming and like you want to be a good auntie. Like it's not just about like, it's not a narcissistic, better be about me. No, there are things that, yeah, that it would make me feel good. The reason I made this decision to change my life to be here was so that I could be there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there are times when that benefits me or the people I love, right? So maybe the answer is it benefits my sister. Well, do I feel good about doing things that benefit my sister? Sure do. Mm -hmm. But if the, if the oftentimes the who benefits is like, either I don't know, mm. <laughs> no one, they, them yeah, yeah. benefits the great them, yeah. then really question that. Do I need mm. to push myself to do the thing? Maybe not. What if I yeah. let that go? Probably not. Yeah. And again, I just think this landscape we're in, all the things that I might have used in the past, I'm just really questioning them now because it's just not the same. It's just not. Right. So I am re-emerging slowly. And other things I've probably said a dozen times in the last week to my clients is no sudden movements. When you're not sure, when it's not clear yet, do the little thing. Don't do the big thing Mm -hmm. that you're not clear about yet. I mean, or do the big thing and just know that you could be off the mark. Cool. And then you'll readjust and you'll be fine. Right. But I'm reemerging slowly. And I'm also noticing that right now there are places where I need a little extra boost. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hire someone to come be in my house with me for three hours to help me finish some things that I do not have access to right now. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is a function of the income that I have to be able to do that. But you can also just get a friend. I just right. happen to live in a place where I don't have any friends right, right now. <laughs> so like I'm going to hire somebody to come do it because I'm hiring my friends for the time being. That's fine. Right. 
but I'm also recognizing the places where I need a little external support because my internal support is depleted and atrophied. It's been a year and a half of, I got to get my sea legs back a little bit because I'm not really very steady on my own momentum of how to get things done that really do benefit me. Right. Right. I want to say to people too, that like, if that you like, we very well have no idea what the things we're going to, we don't know what's going to be confrontational for us, right? Like I was out driving, um, I was driving cold to work the other day and they're like, people were not managing the driving well at all. Like there was, there was strange driving and like a lot of like, sort of like road ragey, you know, like just frustration amongst vehicles. And I was like, yeah, cause we haven't driven together in a while, like just as a pack of people on the road, like we have not driven together. And I was like, people are not accustomed to traffic. Like our, my, my, my beingness around traffic has atrophied. Like my, Mm -hmm. my resiliency around Mm -hmm. my resilience, resiliency, whatever around it's traffic. I was like, oh yeah. Like I haven't had to navigate traffic in like almost two years. And so I have a different level of patience with the frustration of traffic because I haven't had to use my patience muscle about traffic yes. in quite a while. Yes. And I think that like, I would, if somebody had asked me about that, I wouldn't have been like, oh, well, one of the ways the pandemics affected me is like, I have no patience muscle for traffic. I wouldn't have been able to articulate that. But in the moment I was confronted with it, I was like, hmm, yeah, my patience muscle for traffic is like kind of small. And yeah. so are all of theirs too, by the way yes. everybody's acting. And I was like, so you may not know what's going to be triggering or confrontational as we start to like move freely around the cabin. Uh, we're not, we, we don't know. We don't know. You know, yeah. I say like, be open and have grace for yourselves because yeah. you don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. And, and bringing that full circle with the, um, the suitcase metaphor. Yeah. We've essentially all just been stripped down to a carry on suitcase. In the number of people we've been seeing for the most part, in the amount of interaction we've had to have, in the amount of small talk we've had to have, in the amount of plans and logisticizing we've had to make, all that. Good, bad, and ugly. There are benefits and downsides to all of that. And now the choice is, well, what do I add back in? That's right. If your patience for if you're really recognizing that traffic really sucks for you, then you might make some choices about when and how much and how often you're in traffic. Or you might recognize that 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 is something. I actually like being in busy places where I need to be in traffic in order to get to where I want to go. Cool. That's a thing I'm going to add back in. Right. Knowing that it's not all or nothing. I don't have to add all the things in somebody. I don't know. Someone's decluttering method is to, you take everything out of your house, you empty your house, and then you only bring back the things in that you really want and and really going to use. And I think that's the moment that we're in right now. Yeah. And just don't, um, don't default to unconsciously just letting it all back in because we don't have to. Right. And I think sometimes it's going to be a matter of like choosing not to let it back in. And sometimes it's a matter of recognizing like which things are no longer aligned with who I am and where my life is right now and what I'm desiring and who I've changed 
into as this as a result of this and right. also and also like which things have just atrophied in the way that like look if you really value working out but you haven't done it in a while or you got the flu or whatever well then the first time you try back it's gonna suck probably and be hard and there's a lot mm. of there's a lot of beginner energy that I just yeah. want to address for people because part of reemergence is like you're you might be trying new things you might be you might be wanting to give yourself permission to try new things or you might just find yourself having not done that thing for long enough that it feels a little beginnery and beginner energy is tough or can be tough right it can be really mm -hmm. exciting and really open but it can also be like oh I suck at this I don't know how to do this and it can feel like that awkward thing of traffic so yeah, yeah. I love your wisdom, Ange. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like it's so valuable to talk to people who see people for a living and work with mm. people that way because the insight into what's true for many of us just lets us all just feel a little less alone. Yeah. You know, and I yeah, actually I think mean, like that sense of like just holding each other's hands psychologically about like, hey, look, we're me too. You know, like I'm, I get it. There's something about that that gives us permission to reemerge of like, okay, I'm not going to be the only one trying to yeah. fumble my way through or shift gears or like, how am I going to come out and say, like, I'm going to do this thing. And even though everybody knew me for that job, but I can't decided in this, I'm going to be a poet or a ballerina or like whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Anything that you think is just you isn't, I promise. Um, Ange, where can people find you? Uh, the best place to begin is my website, which is untamingthewild.com. I'd like to say so, that was before Miss Glennon Doyle. Yes. You heard yes. it here first, although we love Miss Glennon, but also mm -hmm. Angie called it first. That's good. Well, and people called it even before me. There's a sure, woman named right. Elizabeth D'Alto, who I really love, and her her community is like, untame yourself or something i was like shit she's already done it no there's still work to do as long as we can as long all untame. as there is um as long as as humans are living as domesticated creatures there's plenty of work to do in the world of untaming so yeah my flavor of untaming the wild um is is its own and yeah i love it our friend Glennon wrote a book that now I can hashtag. <laughs> right. Great. So yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Angela. I love you very much. You're welcome. I love you too. You've been listening to the Robin Ivy podcast. I want to thank you for spending this time together today. And if you enjoyed this episode and haven't done so already, please subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, leave me a review. This gets more listeners like you and I to hear the messages my guests share. That would mean so much to me. Last thing, the thoughts and views of each of my guests does not reflect my own personal viewpoints or opinions on topics discussed. This podcast is an open forum for dialogue, kindness, and insightful expression. And this often means looking at life through a new lens. I hope you loved today's episode and invite you to join me once again at the table on the Robin Ivy podcast.